0: Welcome to the Weekly Sermon Podcast for Muncie First Brethren Church with Pastor Jim Garrett. This week, we continue our series in the Gospel of John. As Jesus returns to Capernaum, we are challenged, just like the Father in this story, to a level of belief to go to, trust in, and receive Jesus. Here's Pastor Garrett. You know, last week, as I reflected on our discussion through um, John chapter 4 and looking at the, the the woman at the well and realizing that in every scenario from the first century, that encounter was nothing short of scandalous. From his discussion with her, the fact that he spent time with her and talked to her, but that he first declared himself in 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 broad terms and in very specific terms as well, to be the Messiah was absolutely mind-blowing. You would not have done that. You would not have had that, that, uh, that expression. He did not have it with Nicodemus in chapter 3, the religious leader. He didn't come right out and say, I'm the Messiah. In fact, he talked about the Son of Man in, a, in kind of a third-person type of discussion. I want you to think about that fact that Jesus declared to her, I, and, and again, the significance, I, I won't get into it too much, but the fact that he said the, the word he, the personal pronoun there at the end, is not in the original. It, he would have said the one speaking, I am, that's, that's who I am, and, and would have been very reflective of what he does throughout the Gospel of John in attaching himself to the very person of God, just by virtue of how he um, assigns that title to himself. And so as a result of that, you have this, and again, I cannot, there is no way, I don't care when someone may claim that John was written, because there are skeptics out there who want to say it was written way after the fact, 200 years later, it was created to to, uh, fabricate this Messiah-like person of Jesus. There are even those today who will go so far as to say that Jesus never existed, that the Gospels are not accurate accounts at all. They're just creating this person and and trying to create a story that's not there. Now, Honestly, from an objective viewpoint, not a religious one, not a Christian one, not not, uh, all that subjectivity, just from an objective viewpoint, that cannot be held. But that's how skeptical and how critical some people are of, of the story. And to say that this was made up, it is ridiculous that you would include a story of Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman and declaring himself to be the Messiah to her Because that would not have carried any weight at any time at any point of history unless it's a true account of who Jesus is, what he did, and and the the links to which he went to share God's love and the message of that love and the power of that love. And so from this perspective, that helps us be reminded of the nature of God's promise and the provision of that promise. He spent two days with Samaritans. And we talked about the historical context that there was, there was this divide. There was, well, worse than that. It wasn't just a divide. There was antagonism between these two groups, Samaritans and Jews. For Jesus to spend two days with them, and, and again, we don't know the details. All we know is that he's doing that in, on the heels of and in response to their questions and now their belief in who he is. And you see, and, and this is where we want to see the parallel in this final story in John chapter 4. We see this levels of belief that finally get to the place where they receive who he is. And, and from, the, from the, the woman at the well, her level of belief is, okay, he knows about my past, so she calls him a prophet. That's one step more than than calling him rabbi or master like Nicodemus did. That's a term of respect, and it was typical, and, and might even in some circles be called ordinary, but for her to say, you must be a prophet, was going even a step further. And that's because he knows something. He knows me. He knows about my past. But that wasn't Jesus' goal to tell her that he knew her. He wanted her to know what? Him. And so this level of belief, he's not satisfied with just this saying, okay, I believe you're a prophet and that you know things. She begins to immediately ask about their worship practices. Who's right? She wants affirmation one way or the other. And Jesus says... I want you to know the Father's heart. This is what he's after. He's not after Mount Gerizim or Jerusalem or those practices. He is after you. He's after those who will worship in spirit and truth. Well, we know, she says, when the Messiah comes, we know that he'll reveal all these things to us. And then he says, I am. Now remember, as the disciples came back, she went running off into town and said, hey, there's this guy. He knew everything about me, but is it possible he's the Messiah? And, and whatever we think about her, and there, I read a, a journal article this week that I happen to have um, access to that, that described this event and how dramatic it was that they came out with her. And whatever we think of her past, they at least somehow gave her some credibility because her whole situation from that social standpoint, the cultural standpoint, was very negative. Being married, you know, four or five times and, and, and now being identified with a man that she's not married to, but they come with her and they even go to her and say, you know what? We believed at first. And here's the parallel levels of belief. We believed at first because you said he knew about you. Now we believe because we know about him. And this provides the backdrop for the next part of the story, the finish of this chapter. Because Jesus now is going back to Galilee. He's not going back to uh, his, his own area. We saw in the previous verses that he told his disciples that A prophet is not welcome in his hometown. They don't want to listen. They already have their minds made up about who he is, and so they cannot see the reality of what he's offering, and they reject him based on their misconceptions. We have that problem in the West. We think we know who Jesus is, and so we miss who (laughs) Jesus is. We're so smart that we 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 have those who will say that we're not even sure Jesus existed and we have so many people so eager to put Jesus in a box of some sort that they will latch onto those things and then be defined by their unbelief. That's exactly what we saw in the earlier chapters about this description of Jesus coming and the world hated him because it didn't fit what they wanted. It didn't fit into their, their comfort zone and so they put him in a box Of their making and then they're defined by their unbelief and that's where we we saw it reinforced when Jesus said God didn't send his son to condemn the world why is the world condemned? Because of their unbelief. It has nothing to do with where God wants them to be because he wants them with him. The means by which that happens is through his son Jesus but their unbelief they cannot accept who he is. So as he comes back to Cana, remember, this is where the wedding happened. And it even says, this is where he turned the water into wine. There was a certain royal official. This would have been the Herod Antipas who was in charge of that region. He would have been a part of his court, probably a Gentile. We don't know that for certain, but most likely not a a non-Jewish person. And his son was sick in Capernaum. This man heard that Jesus had come back to Galilee from Judea, and so he goes to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. At the wedding of Cana, remember, we saw this little blurb that John put in, that there were other things that Jesus did. People saw them, and, and they, were, they were very interested in who he was. And it says that they were starting to believe you know, through the, in the miracles, and Jesus, were told, didn't entrust himself to them because he didn't believe where they were. They did not know and and weren't sure of what they were believing. And this is something Jesus is going to say. Don't, Don't just come after me because you think I can do things. Follow me. Be mine because of who you are as a result of who I am. The things that I do are to point to that reality, not the other way around. And so it's his son here who's close to death. And this is where we see his level of belief change. He comes to Jesus, and why is he coming to him? His son is sick. What does he want? He wants his son healed. He doesn't care about miracles and signs per se as some proof. He just wants... His son, well. And I'm going to say that his level of faith here is like a a desperation faith. I know Jesus can do things. I want him to do this thing. And you're going to notice that he doesn't yet have this full awareness of all that Jesus is. And the passage goes on to say, Jesus, and this, by the way, is. The reason that the NIV translates you people, literally it's just you, but it is a plural. And, and Jesus responds by saying, unless you see signs and wonders, you will never believe. And so many have tried to say that he was speaking directly to the, to the official. No, he was speaking to everybody. There is one case that could be made to say that he's actually elevating the, the desire of the official, because he's not waiting for some sign or wonder. He just wants Jesus to be Jesus, to do what in his mind at this point he's capable of doing. And so he says, my son is sick. And as Jesus says this, the the official says, sir, come down before my child dies. It's almost like, and, and again, in your mind's eye, hearing and and he's saying, hey, my son is sick. Could you heal him? And he says, unless you people see these signs and wonders, you won't believe. And he says, sir, come down before my child dies. It's almost like he doesn't hear any of that. He doesn't care. His, His level of belief at this point that Jesus can do this is all that matters to him. I want you to notice that Jesus does not reject him and he does not reject this level of faith in the royal official. But it's not complete. And that's one thing that Jesus even says later and in the other gospels, they'll talk about, you know, Whether or not they believe, he says, the testimony that I bring you is that of God. He says, I want you to believe there. But if not there, then at least look at the signs, look at the miracles, and let your belief be shaped by them. Don't just believe because of that, Accept what God has said is true, that those things are connected. In the same way, as he requests Jesus to come before the child dies, Jesus says, Go. Your son will live. Here's the, I'm going to call this next level of faith. And I, I, I was toying with it. How would I feel as a father? I've, I want him to be there. And, and he's saying, I don't have to be there. For me, this was quite a step. And so I thought about this this anticipatory faith that he now has. Jesus said, my son will live. And the man took Jesus at his word and he left. Would that have been hard for you to do? I heard no's, but boy, I'm thinking about me. And if my child were sick, that would have been hard for me to do. there's a part of me that would have wanted more. Because not not fully understanding that this is all I need for Jesus to speak and it's enough. I think think now, I think there are these times now where I would say, yes, this this is something I could handle and I would respond to it. I I look at this man and I think, "This, this level of faith, this move where it moves him to this anticipation and maybe even some anxiety about, wow, is it going to happen? And we know that he has some of those doubts because when he gets there, he's still on the way, he's approaching. His servants come out and meet him with the news that his boy was living. And so he says, well, at what time did this happen? They say yesterday at one in the afternoon or the seventh hour. The fever left him. And then the father realized. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. Now, let me challenge you to think about what happens here. Because there was a level of belief that took him to Jesus. There was a level of belief that led him away from Jesus, but there is belief that leads us to receive Jesus. And this is the belief that brought him and his household to receive the Jesus as the Messiah. Not this, not what the world was telling them. They didn't go to somewhere else and say, "Oh, let me tell you what he did, and what should we think about this?" They accepted what was presented through the spoken person, or the, the words that Jesus spoke, the presentation of who He is. And I still think, at this point, that's still forming, but they received Jesus. And see, I think always this is something why John, remember when we went to the end of the Gospel of John and he said, this is why I'm writing this. This is why these signs, I'm giving them to you so that you will believe and through your belief have eternal life. So don't be surprised at every level that that this is what we see being presented. And there's no other explanation. There's no other, you know, there's not an elaboration of what that means. It just says, at this point, it's now settled belief. Jesus is who he says he is. From desperation to anticipation to settled. And I don't know where you might be, but if you're not settled in your belief in who Jesus is, you're not where Jesus wants you to be. That is always the goal, to say, I'll take him at his word. He did in in terms of just seeing his son healed, but then he did in terms of Jesus's presentation of life, eternal life. I don't think it's any accident either that Jesus does this. We'll see it in John 11 when when Lazarus and And the things going on there, we'll see it coming up when he heals people on the Sabbath day, you know, and all the religious leaders are like, how dare you heal someone on the Sabbath? How dare you tell that man to take up his mat and go home on the Sabbath? How dare you make mud and put it in his eyes and heal this blind man on the Sabbath? I'm like, (laughs) "This is they don't deny the healing. They just can't get Jesus out of that box. They know the miracle, Jesus speaks, and these things happen, but they can't get to the point of being settled. In fact, we're going to see things like in John 11, after he raises Lazarus from the dead, it'll say many people see it and they believe. Then it will say, there are others who saw it, and they went and told the Pharisees. Then the Pharisees were so upset that Jesus would heal a man and bring him back to life that they sought to kill Jesus and Lazarus. What's wrong with that picture? See, I, I contend that we've, we live in a culture that's very much like that. I see people do more work, and scholars and those who should know better, I see them do more work to get away from who Jesus is, and they will say and do whatever, do with the text whatever they want in order to establish their unbelief and settle themselves there, rather than come to the place that they settled, get settled in faith in who Jesus is. And I mean, they do lots of work. They will do mental gymnastics and biblical gymnastics in their mind, mental Things just to, to, to come up with any idea or theory to dismiss that Jesus is the author of salvation. And I don't know about you, but but I, I want to be in this place where I have this settled faith in who Jesus is because that's what defines me. That's what He has given. That's the provision of the Father. And it says this. Was And by the way, he won't number them after this one. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. We know there are signs. We're going to see other miracles, and I think all of them were to, to see as signs, pointers, directional signs. That's kind of wrapped up and implied in that word, that they're to lead you to something bigger than themselves. They're not the end all. So so that's one of the things that our modern skeptics do is they've convinced themselves that miracles can't happen. So therefore, every miracle that we see in the Bible just can't happen because we don't see anything else like it. And they include the resurrection. And so by virtue of all of those declarations, then they can say that Jesus did not accomplish on the cross what he said he accomplished. And I don't know about... You, maybe you don't buy into those things, but I think they're more prevalent than we realize. And I'm thankful for this vision this man has. He, he, it doesn't say that when Jesus said, your son is well, he will live. He, he didn't go and, 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 you know, take a poll to see who believed and who didn't believe. He, he left. He went home. And then when finding out that his word of health was exactly as he said and confirmed by his servants and those who took care of his household, he said that's exactly when Jesus spoke. And therefore, this is what we will believe. And and it became this settled faith of life. It's always a challenge for us. Are you going to be, like the song said, wise men who bring do their part, but what he's asking for is our heart? Are we going to be those who, like a shepherd, might bring our best, but what he wants is you? That's always the theme of everything that Jesus does and says. And, and I, I will bet you that when this, when this gospel was presented as as this written testimony of Jesus, I will bet you that when they got to this part about the Samaritan woman and this nondescript royal official, I'll bet it was very tempting to say, do we really want that information in this account? Because it sure makes it look like the plan and purpose of God through Jesus Christ is a lot bigger than we have allowed it to be, even as believers. Because what you find missing here is not the superstar, not the, not the prestige, not the person of position, but people who simply took Jesus at his word and they believed. So whatever level, maybe you're at desperate faith, maybe you're at that searching faith like the woman at the well, Maybe you're at the place where you know, you're, you're toying around with, well, maybe this is what it is. Are you at the settled faith place that you'll say Jesus is who he says he is and I believe that? That means I accept what God has provided in the person of his son. Will you move from there? And he doesn't care, just like the Samaritan woman. He doesn't care where you've been, what you've been through. That offer is to you right now, right right here at this point. Not, Not clean up first, don't fix anything. He doesn't want that. He didn't ask her to do that. As she acknowledged it, in fact, that became more of an opening for Jesus to say, the one speaking to you, that's me. That's the promise. And in the same way, that's what he's saying to us. It's always a part of the total story, certainly at his birth, when we talk about him being born. But don't isolate the accounts. Don't just, you know, don't just say, well, I can take this, but you know, I'm not sure about these things because that would have meant you wouldn't have gone home to see your son live. You would have still been desperate. But it gets us to the place that we can be settled in the promise of life in Jesus Christ. Give give your heart to him. And if you've already done that, then right now renew that commitment and say, yes, that's that's what the choir sang about. That's what it was all about. That's the message of being his. So maybe in your settled state you feel unsettled. There's a way to fix that. Settle right back down on the foundation. I am who you say I am. We sing that song too. And that's where I want to be. Don't wait. Today is a good day. It's the best day, as a matter of fact, to get those things right. If you don't have settled faith and you want to ask questions, I invite you to ask me. Let me me just assure you that, that the very question itself means that God is drawing you. And all you have to do is say yes to the offer of life, the forgiveness of sins that is in Jesus. Can't wait to hear that from you. And thank you, Father, for giving us the basis to make that declaration right now to worship you from that place to say it as well. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the life that we have in him. Thank you for allowing us to see these stories unfold that there's no magic, there's nothing attached to it other than the offer of life in Jesus alone. So Lord, right now I pray that if we have not reached that place of settled faith in the finished work of Jesus, the promise of life in him, that right now you would tear down any wall that would keep us from getting there, from saying yes to that offer of life and love in him. It is your love for us demonstrated in that while we were yet sinners, your son, the Messiah, died for us. Father, that should blow us away right now may it be so we love you we thank you for loving us we give you all the praise in jesus name amen